Welcome, everyone. This is a Council of Institutional Investors Educational Podcast. I'm Jeff Mahoney, General Counsel of CII. I'm here today with Professor Madison Condon from the Boston University School of Law. Professor Condon is the author of a recent research paper entitled Market Myopia's Climate Bubble. Thank you, Professor, for speaking with us today. Thank you so much, Jeff, for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Professor, let me start by asking you to explain the meaning of the title of your paper, Market Myopia's Climate Bubble. Sure. So I started thinking about this problem sort of a while ago, maybe back in 2015, when I joined a research team at Columbia University that was um, being funded by the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund, which was interested in understanding its fund's own exposure to physical climate risk. And this research team that I sort of rejoined, I had worked with them a little bit as an undergrad. This is now following law school. We honed in on the question of um, water-related physical climate risks in the mining industry. And I um, sort of watched as these engineers and financial engineers tried to help the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund answer this question. And I write about in this paper, and, and I couldn't really figure out why To me, I knew knowing a lot about climate change and knowing the physical risks that were predicted by climate scientists, it seemed to me like the business community and corporations weren't prepared for those climate risks. And I I was trying to figure out why that might be. And so this project really helped to try to answer that question. And in the paper, I write about some of the impediments that are blocking both investors and the leaders of corporations from really like understanding and responding to their physical climate risks. So, Professor, as you know, Securities and Exchange Commission Chair Gary Gensler has asked agency staff to prepare a proposal for mandatory climate risk disclosures by the end of 2021. So give us an outline of your preferred SEC climate risk disclosure proposal, and perhaps more importantly, an outline of your economic analysis supporting your preferred proposal. Sure. Well, that's an enormous question. Uh, and there are a lot of people working on this in many different, many different angles. So I can maybe highlight some of the um, some of the questions that the SEC is really grappling with right now, and maybe like which side of the which side of the debate I come down on. I think one of the questions that the SEC is trying to figure out is exactly which specific metrics to require and which level of assurance to require in those metrics. So most of the commenters to the SEC supported requiring disclosure of scope one and scope two carbon emissions. Um, The crowd is more divided on scope three emissions, whether that should be a required reporting element. And why that matters is scope three encompasses all the emissions that are downstream from you. So if you're an oil company and you sell oil and then your customer burns that oil, that is within your scope three emissions. And they matter more than others for some companies. Some companies have less less of a downstream scope three carbon footprint. So I fall on the side of scope three emissions should be reported in some way, perhaps certain subcategories of scope three emissions. Um, I also think that there needs to be a balancing between these type of very specific numerical metrics and more descriptive reporting, Um, a more narrative estimation and description of how the company has assessed and is now preparing for its climate risks that are are given in a different format than just um, 
sort of line item disclosures. I think the question of how to report physical risk is a really hard one. Right now, there's an emerging number of climate service, climate services um, consultancies, and there's an increasing number of investors that are partnering with partnering with climate scientists and physical risk scientists, like engineers and adaptation scientists, to really understand whether the corporations in their portfolios, um, what their climate risk exposures might be. Um, how the SEC will require disclosure of that physical risk is actually a difficult problem because it's really on the cutting edge of climate science. Just what can we know about the future and when can we know it? And some physical risks are much more easy to predict than others. We know we know much more about sea level rise, for example, than we do exactly about potential future hurricane paths. So the SEC is really wandering into kind of unfamiliar territory to the agency. These are basically climate science questions. You know, what can you know about your future risk? Um, and so the SEC really has its work cut out for it as it tries to answer these questions with its staff that has mostly a financial regulation background. So, Professor, your, your paper includes specific recommendations directed at shareholders of corporations with respect to climate risk. So. What are those recommendations and, and what are they based on? Yeah, so I think that, you know, I, I think that the, the the engine number one hedge fund battle against Exxon's leadership that went down this spring, I think, and of course it happened after I wrote this paper, but I think is a good example of the type of stuff that I'm trying to flag for investors. And I think investors actually are increasingly think about going into the future. Um, and that is questioning whether the management of certain companies that have been doing things a certain way for a very long time are really the best leaders to transition that company in for the for the future uh, climate regulated world. So, um, you know, consider whether you need to vote against board members or vote against executive leadership that has like deliberately dug their heels in and, and been opposed to transitioning and prepared for climate risks. It might be really hard to, to bring about a cultural change in a company without changing its leadership. And I think along with that question is look very precisely at how executives are paid and exactly what their mandate is and exactly how they receive remuneration. You know, does it reinforce short termism? Are you or are you reinforcing, for example, in the oil and gas industry, um, some executives are paid just by upping their reserves replacement ratio. So the amount that they add to their reserves relative to the amount that they extracted that year, that metric of paying executives like explicitly like encourages them to invest in fossils rather than for the long-term success of the company, which might involve pivoting away from fossils. Professor, you're... Your paper directs recommendations to the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board. So what do you see as the PCOB's role in climate risk reporting? The PCAOB was formed um, post the Enron accounting crisis, and they are really supposed to work with accounting firms as um, offering guidance and oversight of how accounting companies are holding corporate America responsible. Um, and I see accounting firms and third party sort of third party climate advisors, accounting firms are one and rating agencies are another that are really pivotal to helping communicate climate risks to the investment community from the corporate world. And 
I wouldn't say that the accounting firms have been total laggards. There's plenty of, there's actually like very good climate experts at some of these accounting firms that really know a lot about both climate policy and climate science. Um, but without a legal mandate to require certain levels of assurance and auditing of certain environmentally related disclosures or climate related disclosures, um, corporations are not going to want that information audited and assured. So, for example, companies are pretty much allowed to just lie about their carbon emissions at this point. And I think that there's a role for the PCAOB to beef up its guidance to auditing companies saying like these types of things should be dug into and should be looked at and also beef up its own expertise in being able to evaluate these disclosures. So one thing I'll just highlight is that it's become very trendy for companies to announce, to announce net zero carbon goals saying, you know, by 2050, we'll reach this thing by 20, by 20, by 2030, we'll reach this target by 2050, we'll be net zero emissions. And they make all of these announcements. And then there's actually very little change reflected on their financial statements or on their financial disclosures that go to the regulating en entities. And, you know, you should have capital allocation changes if you've made these net zero goes, your goals, your investment in carbon resources should actually decline if that is the track that you're on. And I think that there's a role for the auditing community to really line up these stated net zero claims with what's actually happening on the financial sheets of the company and make sure that those things are actually lining up. Or else these net zero announcements might just serve as greenwashing and bad PR and really make no progress in climate. That concludes our podcast episode. On behalf of the Council of Institutional Investors, I want to thank our special guest, Professor Madison Condon from the Boston University School of Law. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please feel free to contact me at jeff, J-E-F-F, -F, at cii.org. Until next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.